Welcome to the show Unburden Your Health. This show brings to you experts and insights on what really works when it comes to improving health and well-being. Welcome to another show of Unburden Your Health. Today I am going to be discussing a topic most of us tend to ignore or rather prefer having a quick fix like popping a pill. It is our common headache. Having a headache is a universal human experience and one of the most common complaints encountered in medicine and neurology. It has been estimated by the WHO that almost half of the adult population have had a headache at least once within the last one year. My guest for the show today is a renowned expert in the field of headaches. Dr. K. Ravi Shankar is the consultant in charge of the headache and migraine clinic both at Leelawati and Jaslok Hospitals. He is on the board of trustees of the International Headache Society. He has been the editor for various medical publications and editor for the book Modern Day Management of Headache. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ravi Shankar. Thank you, Dr. Sanjay, for inviting me to this webcast. Most happy to be here and share my thoughts on such a common problem like headache. Right. So, um, you know, before we start, uh, if you could give us a little insight as to how did you pivot uh, into specializing into the field of headaches? What was the trigger for you really, actually? How did that happen? Uh, that's a very apt question that you have asked me because uh, it's very coincidental how I got into headaches. I was practicing like uh, most of the other doctors, everything in neurology. And uh, I came across an article by one Dr. Nainan Matthew, who is in charge, who was in charge of the Houston Headache Clinic. Okay. Unfortunately, he is no more now. So when I read that article, I was quiet and motivated because he seemed to make headaches so easy. And right. he devised a flowchart by which most headaches could be managed well. Okay. So I longed to go and spend some time and train with him in the U.S. And fortunately, my mentor, Dr. Noshir Wadia, happened right. to know him well. Okay. So with that introduction, I was able to land up in Houston and uh, Dr. Nainan Matthew agreed to take me on as a trainee. And I spent about a year with him. And that was uh, mind-blowing. We, in spite of all the training that we have in the medical colleges and as postgraduates, we tend to neglect headaches and we think that headaches are difficult to treat and quite frustrating very often. But when I worked with Dr. Nainan Matthew, he demonstrated and showed how these headache patients, their histories could be teased in such a detail and how the treatment could be chosen based on the type of headache the patient was suffering from. Okay. So he, the bottom line was that he analyzed the headache in so much detail and proved the point that different headaches have different treatment. And that was the turning point. And that was when I decided that I must go back and set up a headache clinic, not 
on very much the uh, big scope that uh, he had set up in Houston, but right. at least you know, on a smaller scale, I must begin something. And with the help of Dr. Wadia again, we were able to set up the first headache clinic at Just Look Hospital in 1995. And that is how my interest in headache began. Wonderful, wonderful, excellent. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, you took on this headache to get rid of the headaches for so many of us, you know, so thank you so much for doing this for all of us. Uh, you know, what I was, when I mentioned in the introduction about uh, at least 50% of the population having had a headache in the last one year, uh, you know, majority of the adult population has at least had one headache a year. We are not able to get authentic statistics, but maybe you could share some data on this. How common is headache really in India or globally? And in your experience, you know, how, how accurate is this data? Yes, uh, there have been very well ratified epidemiological studies done abroad to assess the extent of the prevalence, the disability and the burden due to headache disorders. But unfortunately, because of uh, uh, lack of interest in India, uh, there are too many diversities for us to get a correct uh, figure of the true prevalence of headache disorders. But from what I have seen amongst the patients who attend the headache clinic, it at least 25% of every neurologist's outpatient practice is headache. And this has been well established through uh, studies done in India. Right. And if you look at the fact that migraine is more common than uh, other disorders like diabetes and asthma and arthritis, and when you look at the various neurological disorders, you find that migraine is so much more common than epilepsy or stroke or Parkinson's. Right. And then when you compare that to the level of interest uh, generated in the subject, you come to understand the huge gap that exists between the theory and the practice of this branch. Absolutely. And when you see that abroad, even since 2005, they have uh, headache medicine as a separate subspeciality of neurology. So we are 15 years down the line and uh, it is still an emerging subspeciality in India. Right. So there is definitely a need for more headache clinics. There is a need for more focus on headache. And uh, there is a need to address this uh, big gap in the uh, uh, treatment of headache patients. Sure. No, I'm sure I think after people listen to this episode from you today, a lot more awareness will be created. I know that people already clamor for your appointment. I know that you are one of the most sought after physicians across the city of Mumbai. Uh, but I hope that, you know, after people listening to this podcast across a wider geography, you know, the awareness about the need to treat and look at headaches more closely will definitely increase. So thank you for sharing that. You know, you mentioned this word headache disorder. Uh, maybe you could just demystify this for us. Difference between just the word headache and headache disorder. Yes. Uh, why I use the word headache disorder is a patient or a person who gets a one-off headache, which is mild and bearable, can self-medicate himself with either a pain balm or a paracetamol tablet and get done with it. But a lot many and most of the headaches are coming on a recurrent basis. 
And when they hit you on a recurrent basis with moderate to severe headache, and they affect the quality of life, and you start thinking that, uh, is there a way to get out of the situation other than keep on popping painkillers? That is the time when you start calling it a disorder. A disorder is something which comes on a recurrent basis. Okay. And now it is well proven through estimation of uh, neuropeptide levels in the brain that migraine, the commonest of headache disorders, is a neurological, legitimate neurological brain problem. It is no longer to be thought of as a psychological problem as it was thought about 20 years back. So we have a lot of advances that have happened in this field. But unfortunately, the fallout of these advances have not percolated into practice for the benefit of our patients. So a headache disorder is something which comes on a recurrent basis, is accompanied by disability and is a burden which affects the quality of life for that patient. Understood. Understood. Now, three very good takeaways from this that it's recurrent. Uh, it has, you know, um, disability and it affects the quality of life. I think that three together uh, characterize what we call as a headache disorder. Would you like to share uh, maybe, you know, what are the common types of headaches and what are the underlying causes for say majority of the cases that you see in your, your clinic? Yes. Uh, I would also like to look at and set right some of the myths and the fixed notions in the minds of uh, sufferers of headache. Having practiced at a tertiary headache clinic for more than 25 years, I would like to confidently tell the general public that the commonest cause of headache that is disabling and which affects your quality of life is is migraine. It is not a sinus headache, it is not an error of refraction as is most commonly thought. Okay. This is because uh, it's a general common notion for everybody who suffers recurrent headaches to rush to the eye specialist, get their refraction checked up Correct. and also to check for their sinuses and also to think that their headaches are due to sinuses. But when we take a history in the headache clinic and we ask the type of relevant questions we find that their history has features to suggest that this is migraine. And when we treat them for migraine, you find that what they thought all along, that my father has sinus, my mother has sinus, my sister has sinus, eventually turns out to be migraine. And with treatment, the patient improves significantly. So the commonest type of headache for which a patient decides to consult is migraine. But the commonest type of headache in the general population for which patients self-medicate, for which they may not consult a doctor, is what is called as tension-type headache or stress-related headache. So these are two different aspects which need to be understood, that anything disabling, anything recurrent, anything which is moderate to severe is to be first thought of as migraine. Anything which is manageable and bearable is stress-related muscle spasm, tension-type headache. Okay. And, and in, your, in your OPD practice, uh, the percentage of people who come with migraine versus the percentage of people who come with other causes of headache, would that be easy way to categorize that majority is migraine and the rest would come in one category? 
Yes, you're absolutely right. About 70 to 80% of the patients who come to our clinic are having different levels of migraine, different types of migraine, and uh, they warrant treatment as for migraine. Right. In the remaining 20%, you have the other type of headaches. And the important it is here to stress the point that although it is necessary to think of as a specialist at every level when the patient consults you of a serious underlying cause, the number of patients who have a serious underlying cause for their headache warranting further treatment by way of specifics, uh, drugs, or by way of surgery is less than 5%. Okay, okay. So that's very reassuring. That's that's yeah. good that, you know, because we know commonly people think that if I have a recurrent headache, do I have a brain tumor or do I have something very debilitating? But that's good to know that majority of the cases can be managed in the OPD and are not very serious illnesses. Absolutely. But, but since migraine is the bulk, let's maybe try and focus a little more on that. I know most people would be keen to hear, you know, your your thoughts on, on migraine. So, Maybe if you could, we could start with what exactly is a migraine, what are the various types of migraines, and maybe you could just, you know, maybe share your experience about the diagnosis and management of migraine. Yes. Now, migraine is a type of headache that is can be self-diagnosed if you're alert to the different facets of migraine. Okay. Now, what exactly is migraine? When do we call a headache as a migraine headache? And... When do we look for other types of headache? Number one, any headache that is recurrent and is trigger linked when there is a cause and effect right. is usually you have to start suspecting the possibility of migraine. You sure. have to be aware of the fact that migraine has a set pattern and the natural history is pretty much common across most of the patients. Okay. It usually starts young and does not stop at the end of three months or four months. It has a long duration and it goes off only after 15-55. That is because migraine is more common in women and migraine has a link to the female hormone estrogen. Okay. So therefore, it starts when the... Uh, girl starts menstruating around 14, 15, and then increases around 20, 25. It is linked to the different hormonal phases of a woman's life. And it comes down after 55, 60, when menopause sets in. Right. So there are enough clues in the form of recurrent headaches, in the form of trigger links. And I'll talk about trigger links a bit later. And you have a family history, which is positive. That right. is, someone else in the family, if you ask the question, does anybody else in your family have recurrent headaches? Someone right. else will have recurrent headaches in most of the patients. And when you find a patient at 35 coming and telling you that my headache started when I was 15 and whenever I would go out in the sun or when I did not eat my food on time, I would right. get a severe headache, which was accompanied by nausea, vomiting, intolerance to light and sound, I've already given you about six or seven clues. Then the penny has to drop that right. what you're suffering from is most likely migraine. And then you have to consult either your family doctor or an internist or a neurologist 
uh, depending on the level of uh, severity of the migraine in order to get the treated. So it is a genetically inherited vulnerability, which makes you prone to headaches, which are provoked by triggers in either your environment or lifestyle. And then it results in headache, which comes on a regular similar pattern lasting for four to six to 12 hours or 24 hours and which disables you. So that would be the way to suspect that what you have is most likely migraine. Migraine, right. Okay. So uh, before we go to the triggers, I have one or two questions that I wanted to clarify. You mentioned recurrent. So maybe you could specify what, what do you mean by recurrent? How frequently should it come? Second question was, it almost seems like, you know, the thyroid illness is also more prevalent in women. Nine is to one. You know, if there are 10 patients of thyroid problems, nine will be women. So what's the gender bias here, you know, towards women and men? What's the ratio there? So maybe you could just help us this. Recurrent means how frequently and what's the division between male and female in this case? It's important to understand here that no two migraine patients are similar. Okay. There are many things which vary across migraine patients. One is the frequency. Now, when we are talking about recurrence, we are talking about the frequency with which they get their attacks of migraine. Somebody with a mild migraine might come and tell you that I get these headaches once a month, or once in right. two months. Right. Whereas somebody with a more frequent migraine would come and say, I get once a week. Sure. And the type of end-stage patients who come and tell us that I get headaches on five days out of seven days of the week, those oh. are the chronic migraine patients where the recurrence rate is very high. So right. the same attack of migraine occurs on a recurrent basis on as many as five out of seven days of the week. So the recurrence is the difference in the frequency. Then comes the other variable factor, which is the severity level. So you have patients who come to us with mild migraine, which gets treated more easily. Then there are patients who come with moderate and severe migraine who might require more medications, who might require an extended duration of medications. So that is the other variable. So for every four patients, three are women uh, with migraine. Yes, you're right. So male is to female ratio is one is to three. Roughly it's that way. And okay. uh, the prevalence rate is also high. It's about 18% in uh, females and about 6% in males. Right, right. And and in your experience, you mentioned mild, moderate and severe. Uh, is that very specific to an individual because my pain tolerance could be very low, whereas your pain tolerance could be high? What will be mild to me and I would or, or moderate to me could be mild for you? So how do we categorize mild, moderate and severe? Yes, uh, no doubt. Uh, it is a subjective uh, way of looking at it, the pain level. But uh, when it comes to migraine pain, usually uh, we score them on a scale of 0 to 10 and okay. allow the patient to tell their own subjective scale, taking okay. that 0 is no headache and 10 is the worst headache. So right. anything less than 5 or 6 is something which we would categorize as mild. And okay. which can be managed by the patient on their own or through their family doctor and do not does not warrant taking big medicines or injections for the relief. 
But anything above six, between six and eight, would be moderate. Sure. And between eight to 10, in fact, some patients very jokingly tell us, my pain intensity is 11 by 10. So we find that those are the serious ones. And by and large, between individuals, this categorization does not uh, change too much. There might be a mild uh, overlap because of subjective phenomena, but by and large, what most patients call as moderate and severe are to be looked upon and treated as moderate to severe. So it does not create much confusion when we decide on the level of treatment because the level of treatment goes according to the level of disability, which again depends upon the frequency and severity. So it's not too difficult. And so so if I was to reiterate, recurrent headaches, one-sided, associated with nausea, vomiting, uh, sensitivity to light and to sound, any other associated with trigger links, cause and effect relationship. Cause and effect. So maybe you could positive just, family history in most cases. Family history, right, right. And could but, you then maybe highlight some of the triggers? I know that people speak about, you know, coffee and sunlight, but maybe you could demystify that for us. What are the common triggers? And maybe avoiding triggers, it could be a, a starting point of controlling the migraine itself. Yes. Uh It's important to be aware of the fact that triggers in India are different from triggers which you find on the internet when you Google for triggers. Because chocolate, cheese and red wine are not the triggers in our setting. Correct. So most often when you Google and you look at the triggers, these are the three most commonly listed in the Western world. But the most common triggers in our setting are the heat level and the light levels. Okay. In most parts of India, we have hot weather for almost eight months of the year. Correct. So when you have such high heat levels with humidity associated, that is the commonest trigger. And most patients come and tell you, whenever I go out in the sun, I do get a headache. Right. The second important point to understand is that there is a genetic threshold which divide, uh, decides the number of triggers and the level of triggering required to set off your migraine. For example, a person who is a highly sensitive migrainer might require just about 10 minutes of sunlight and he or she blows up with a headache. Whereas a person with a low genetic threshold might require one hour of exposure to the same sun in order to generate a headache attack that's a migraine. So one is exposure to sunlight, two is the Indian habit of skipping breakfast. We don't have a formal breakfast in most places. So when you skip your meals, then you're more prone to headaches. The habit in most communities, religions in India of fasting Fasting. for religious reasons is a trigger in a big way. And then you have certain foodstuffs. You have foodstuffs which are different and the foodstuffs which contain MSG, foodstuffs which are fermented in nature, such as idli, dosa, dokla, and then you have paneer, which is cottage cheese again. And a number of uh, people trigger off their migraine with cold items like cold drinks, colas, ice creams, and also alcoholic drinks can generate migraine headaches. And then when you come to the lifestyle, 
you find that lifestyle triggers are also as important as the environmental triggers. So you find that if you don't do the same thing at the same time every day, if you do not include a bit of exercise in your day-to-day routine, and if you tend to undersleep or oversleep, or if you tend to vary the time at which you sleep every day, then again, you tend to blow up with more migraine headaches. So headache hygiene, as I call it, or trying to control your environmental triggers and lifestyle triggering factors is the number one foundation or first pillar of treatment of migraine patients. Wonderful, wonderful. These are such great insights. Just just takes me to another point. So over the last 15 months, uh, you know, so many people have been exposed to their screens. Uh, has exposure to screen also been now considered to be a trigger because almost everybody is sitting in front of a screen throughout the day? Maybe your inputs on how has this affected, you know, the onset of headaches and migraine? Yes, you have raised a very valid point. And uh, exposure now, the current trend, we are forcibly exposed to more, uh, there is more screen exposure and everybody starting from above the age of 12 has a mobile phone, which they are always, and it's a smartphone, which they're looking at and the social media, WhatsApp, Facebook, everything is done through the mobile. So both the mobile and the computer screen exposure time has increased considerably. Add to that, when multiple triggers work on the same migraine threshold, then it throws up an attack more easily. So you have persons with who are prone to migraine not exercising enough and sitting in odd postures in front of the computer. So you have posture coming in, you have lack of exercise coming in, erratic food habits coming in, erratic sleep habits coming in, and watching movies for a long duration is again television screen exposure. So in put together, I think you have a very valid point. And then compounded over that is the stress of COVID. Now, COVID stress is a completely, it throws up a lot of anxiety, fear, and you get only negative news. So all this leads to anxiety, depression. So you have almost five different reasons all packed in one bundle to send you into migraine attacks more easily. So you have definitely, I think, struck the nail on the head when you're talking about the present scenario as a big trigger for migraine. So while, while, as you explained, this is almost like creating the perfect storm in your head for a headache, but at the same time, you also mentioned that many of these uh, triggers are in our own control. The way we sit, the number of hours in front of the screen, uh, you know, regimenting our food habits, uh, you know, sleeping on time. Uh, limiting the number of hours on front of a screen, uh, exercise. Many of these are, I think, also very simple uh, ways in which we can make a difference. So I think while it, it it's coming together like a perfect storm in our head, but the solutions are also that way pretty simple, if I was to understand from what you are saying. Yes, you have summarized it very well, because uh, regularizing is the word you have used, which is very correct regularizing your lifestyle, doing the same thing at the same time every day as far as possible, not having swings in your sleep timings. I mean, you don't go to sleep at one o'clock. And this is another point. We find that a lot of youngsters come alive on their social groups only Mm. after 11 p.m. And they all, when you ask them the question, 
what time do you go to sleep? The answer is usually 3 a.m. Correct. And so they get up also late then. And so then true. when you ask them, do you have a breakfast? They say, I directly have my lunch. Lunch. So look at that. Uh, irregular lifestyle, erratic sleep habits, and skipping of meals. So everything put together, the lifestyle is the factor which triggers off more headaches. And then you sure. need more medicines. Rather than controlling your lifestyle, you are unnecessarily taking more medicines. Just a question you mentioned about, you know, fasting and skipping breakfast. Um, so is, is hyperacidity a trigger? Or just skipping meals, which causes low blood glucose? Uh, or is it a combination of these things, which is a trigger? Because I remember a case, uh, in fact, she's my bhavi. And uh, my brother called me and he said, you know, she's just, she's fasting today. I'm telling her not to fast, but she's fasted and she's having a headache and she's vomiting. So please give her a peninom injection to stop the vomiting. Now, I was not sure, is it a migraine? Is it hyperacidity? Uh, what exactly is it? So maybe you could just help clarify that thought as well. Yes, this is a, a big myth that acidity leads to my headache or acidity is the cause of my headache. Now, what actually happens is whenever a person fasts, it is the low glucose level to the brain which sets off the migraine attack. And in every migraine attack, you will find that there is associated some amount of queasiness of the stomach and some discomfort in the stomach. So that is part of the migraine attack. So when the migraine attack has started, when the queasiness happens before the headache starts, one tends to think that the stomach upset is leading to the headache. So right. there is a myth and a fixed notion in the patient's mind that because I got the stomach upset first, it is my acidity which is causing my headache. But right. there is something before the headache starts for at least 24 to 36 hours, which is called the prodrome of migraine. So right. the stomach derangement happens during the prodromal phase when the headache has still not started. And so it is part of the migraine attack in the brain and it is not to be treated by doing an endoscopy or by giving medicines Correct. for the acidity in the stomach. It Correct. is to be treated by giving migraine medicines which deal with the brain. So this is an important point you've raised because this is a fixed notion in the minds of most patients that right. I have had endoscopies. I have been taking medicines based on my acidity, but still my headache has not gone. Correct, correct. So you're treating a separate problem, but right. your headaches will continue unless you treat the medicine with medicines for migraine. So okay. acidity is part of the migraine attack. Right. And as you said that there are many patients who will present with abdominal symptoms as a part of their migraine symptoms. So it's not only the symptoms that are on the head, but also, you know, abdominal symptoms, as you said correctly. Yes. Perfect, perfect. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So maybe we could quickly move to management of migraine and, you know, maybe before that, uh, is there a need to diagnose migraine with a specialist like yourself or a neurologist? Uh, how should that be done? And then how does that sort of segue into management of migraine? Most of the patients who suffer from mild to moderate migraine can be diagnosed at different levels. And one is the patient 
on their own with the features which I have uh, listed thus far, they can diagnose their own migraine and then go and tell the doctor that this is these are my features, please start me on the right medicines. So right. they can be uh, treated at the level of the family doctor or at the level of the internist. Now, there are different varieties of migraine. Migraine is a kaleidoscopic disorder. It has many patterns, many subtypes. So there are complex subtypes which are to be dealt with by a neurologist or a headache specialist. So when there is a complex migraine with different types of clinical presentation, but the basic underlying changes in the brain are the same, then right. we need the help of a neurologist or a headache specialist. And there is an entity which is called chronic migraine. When a person with migraine gets more than 15 days of headache per month, that's a, a chronic migraine. And right. those cases need a higher level of management. And apart from that, a lot of times, because of overuse of painkillers, particularly those which contain caffeine, codeine, or right. those which contain ergotamine, I am not going to be using trade names here, but those sure. which contain ergotamine, they tend to perpetuate the headache and produce what is known as medication overuse headache. So okay. when many articles and doctors tell you do not use painkillers indiscriminately, yes. they are advising you not because of the effect of the painkillers on the other organs alone, but right. also because of the fact that these painkillers used beyond a certain set limit can perpetuate the same headache that you are trying to treat. And okay. this is called a rebound headache, analgesic rebound headache, or more appropriately, it is known as medication overuse headache. Now, when a migraine is combined with a medication overuse headache, these patients need specialized treatment through a neurologist or a headache specialist. And right. those are the situations when you need tertiary care to come into the picture. Otherwise, by and large, most of the migraines, which are episodic and come less than four to five times a month, can be handled by the family doctor and the internist. Sure. Okay. And if they were to come to your clinic, uh, you know, or to a urologist, would you would they need to do a CT scan or an MRI or a fundus exam? Would 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 such investigations be required in, in severe cases? Uh, ideally, a fundoscopic examination is required in every patient in order to rule out the possibility of an underlying serious cause, which is looking like migraine. Okay. Then there are some signals which you get from the history of a migraine patient, which tells us that this migraine patient would need a scan and if a scan is to be done, we always would prefer an MRI scan to a CT scan so that nothing is missed and we don't need to go back and do a CT scan after doing uh, an MRI scan after doing a CT scan, which comes normal, sure. but still the patient sure. doesn't improve. Sure. And some of these signals which we get are when a patient with migraine comes and tells us that all his migraine headaches are on the right side and he never gets pain on the left, that is suspect for something underlying, which is looking like migraine. Or okay. if a patient does not have all the features of migraine and he has only one or two features, but there is no trigger link, there is no family history positive, what we call as incomplete or probable migraine, 
we still want to have a scan done in order to get things out of the way and sure. reassure the patient. And lastly, it is the current trend for patients to seek more reassurance than treatment because they have heard stories of somebody else having a similar headache and ending up with a brain tumor. So there is also another reason for doing a scan, and that is for reassurance. That is when the patient wants it. So most of the situations, if you want it, definitely you would insist. But when the patient you feel is very anxious, very concerned, the family is worried, there is also a reason to do a scan to make sure the patient is reassured that there is no underlying problem. So you would do fundoscopy in all situations. You would do a scan in some situations. And if there are signals to tell you that the migraine could be harboring something else more serious, you would definitely do a scan. Sure, sure. Now coming to treatment, I know there are, I mean, from my understanding, there are two kinds of treatment. One which actually treats the migraine attack. And there are some treatments given to actually prevent the migraine attack. As you mentioned that if they are given during the prodromal uh, phase of the headache, just before the headache actually peaks. So maybe you could throw some light on both the treatment of the attack itself and uh, how do we prevent an attack from becoming in its full severity? Yes, there are three aspects when you look at the treatment of migraine. Number one is explaining the trigger factors and the lifestyle control. The second is treating the acute attack. And the third, as you mentioned, is reducing the frequency and preventing future attacks. That's right. called preventive treatment. Sure. There's another fourth aspect which is often ignored and which we put it as the first most important aspect of treatment of migraine, which is called patient education. Okay. Explaining to the patient why the head pains. Because sure. interestingly, when I ask most of my patients, why do you think your head pains? What have has been told to you so far, most of them said, I don't know why my head pains. Nobody has explained it to me so far. So you have to explain to the patient, what is your diagnosis? What is migraine? What are the, you have to set the right expectations because people should not go away thinking that a treatment, a treatable problem like migraine is 100% curable. It is not. It is controllable. But it is not curable as of today. Why? Because it's a genetically inherited vulnerability and your genes don't change through lifetime. So the proneness remains. So if you control the triggers as the number one part of treatment, if you treat the acute attacks, and if you use preventive medicines to reduce future attacks, then by and large, your quality of life can be restored. Sure. Now coming to the... Trigger control, we have already discussed that. Now, we will talk about the acute treatment. Now, if it is a mild migraine attack where the patient has bearable headaches, then you could use the routine analgesics such as paracetamol and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which are called NSAIDs. And it is always a good suggestion to use an anti-emetic in combination with the analgesics, which will improve their absorption and give greater relief. 
Now, so when something you, to prevent the vomiting and nausea. That's right. Yes. It will also right. prevent the nausea and the vomiting, reduce the nausea and the vomiting. Right. Now, when you move on to more severe attacks where the patient has higher level of pain and more accompanying disability, then you would go on to what are called specific drugs for migraine, which are the triptans. And then you have some futuristic drugs which are available abroad, which are just coming into the country and which will soon be available to us also within a year or so. So these are drugs which are designer drugs specifically for the treatment of migraine. Okay. These are called the triptans and they would not work in any other pain such as joint pains or toothache or any other pain. They would work okay. only in migraine pain. And these have been available for the last 20 years. And these are the drugs which help control moderate to severe attacks of migraine. Okay. By and large, we now have enough medications to control the pain of migraine without necessarily having to go to a doctor for an urgent injection, which is what was done earlier on. So these triptans are available by tablets as orally disintegrating strips and also a nasal spray to improve the speed of action. And in the future, we are going to get other drugs also. Now, coming to the uh, prevention of recurrence of the attacks and reduction of severity, you have what are called preventive drugs. These are drugs which are borrowed from other areas of medicine. For example, some of them are blood pressure medicines. Some of them are anticonvulsants and some of them are antidepressants, but they all help. I won't go into the specifics, but they all help in reducing the frequency and severity. So the bottom line is, that for migraine, please do not treat just the attack of today. Take medicines to prevent the attack of tomorrow. So it is a long-term disorder where you need to get better in order to have a good quality of life. So there is treatment available. Please go in for the treatment rather than just suffer in silence. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. These are so helpful uh, and such simply explained by you. Uh, just a maybe a, a futuristic question. You mentioned that since there is genetic predisposition, do you ever think gene therapy would become a possible preventive or a curative, uh, you know, uh, step taken to finally treat or cure migraine? You know, when they can alter the genetic code and they know which which genetic code is responsible, can is gene therapy being thought of as a as a potential treatment? It's a good thought, but as of now, the reason why uh, this is not being looked at too seriously, because uh, most of the uh, common migraine stories that you hear about, read about, and see in practice are polygenetic. That is, there are a number of genes involved, for which you can't really do much. But there are specific disorders within the migraine field, which are monogenetic or monogenic. And these are something like hemiplegic migraine. Now, this is very rare. It runs in families. It's instantly recognizable. It's called familial hemiplegic migraine. Now, here there are uh, derangements of what what you called as iron channels. And in disorders like these, which are very rare, 
there is a possibility that in the future, because specific genes have been identified, mutations within these genes have been identified. So right. you might be looking at gene therapy in the very long future. I'm not even looking at the near future for the next sure, sure. 300 years, but Correct. you might uh, look at it in the long future. So that is possible. But for the day-to-day -day migraine that you see in practice, I do not think that we would have gene therapy as an option in the future. Is, uh, you know, I remember when I was in my final year of MBBS and I was diagnosed with a migraine at that time, maybe it was triggered by stress because of studying so much. Uh, and I was given propranolol at that time, which was a drug which is commonly used for blood pressure. Is that still commonly being used for treating migraine? Yes, it is still commonly used and propranolol is one of the good drugs for migraine. And okay. uh, it is by serendipity that uh, people notice that uh, the patients were initially using propranolol for producing a reduction in blood pressure came back and told the doctors that my migraines are also better. Okay. So that's how they came up with the idea that these drugs and then subsequently, other groups of blood pressure medicines have been tried out and found to be useful in migraine. Likewise, it is the same with anti-epileptic drugs, which people right. think are used only to treat epilepsy, but they are wonderful uh, anti-migraine drugs to use for moderate to severe migraine. And so also, antidepressant drugs in a milder dose would sure. like amitriptyline in a smaller dose would definitely help in treating migraine. In a higher dose, they used to treat depression. So sure. when people see some of our prescriptions and the chemist tells them that, oh, are you having uh, epilepsy? Are you having depression? You yes. have to understand that the same medicines in a smaller dose is used to treat migraine also. Wonderful, wonderful. This is great insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, let's move ahead from migraine. And you mentioned that about 20-25% of patients that come to you are causes other than migraine. So maybe you could just quickly throw some highlight on the non-migraine causes of headaches. Yes. So all headaches broadly are divided into two categories. Most of the headaches that we see in practice are what are called as primary headaches. When Whatever investigation you may do, whether it's a scan or a spinal fluid check or any systemic check, you do not find anything abnormal. But right. the pain is just as severe as those headaches which are due to serious underlying causes. This 90% group, these are called primary headaches. Right. And then the group of secondary headaches are those headaches where you suspect and order the test and you find that you find something abnormal on the scan or on the spinal fluid or on the blood test. So let us first talk about the other primary headaches. Migraine is the commonest of the primary group. Yes. And your brain tumor would be under the category of the secondary group. So Understood. amongst the primary headaches, apart from the 70% which are due to migraine, what else would you see? You have disorders which are like cluster headache that is seen more often in male patients. Okay. And it is seen less commonly, but it is definitely recognizable more easily because those patients would come with pain always on the same side, with watering from the eyes, 
tearing from the nose, uh, nose uh, tearing from the eyes, running nose, and multiple attacks during a day lasting for much shorter time. So okay. that pain is more severe. In fact, the term that some patients use for the description of cluster headache is that it's a suicidal headache. Okay. So cluster headache is another headache that we see in practice. And uh, if you look at, I would be seeing in our headache clinic at least uh, 10 patients every year with cluster headache. So the okay. frequency is much less, prevalence is okay. much less, but right. it's still important because it's again a treatable disorder. Sure. Then you see some rare types of headaches, which are more important for uh, medical audience. And they are very few in number, but unless you're aware of them, you would not spot them when you see them in the clinic. Okay. And a small percentage have what is called as tension type headache and due to underlying stress, anxiety, depression, psychological problems can also sure. give rise to headache. And amongst the serious causes, what do we see most commonly? One is we see that the less than 5 to 10% of patients who have secondary causes, they have usually some underlying space-occupying lesion like a tumor, or they right. could have a blood vessel problem, or they could have the beginning of some infection, all of which requires specific treatment. And you involve, need to involve other specialists such as neurosurgeons in the picture right. in order to treat them. So these are some of the other varieties of headache, but by and large, you need to know all the animals in the zoo in order yes. to be able to identify and differentiate between a panther and a leopard and a cheetah. Absolutely. And the lion. <laughs> and the lion, of course. Yes. <laughs> is, is, is elevation in blood pressure a common cause for headaches? Uh, you know, is high blood pressure a trigger in some way for headaches? Mild elevation in blood pressure is not an important cause for headaches, as is commonly thought to. But right. if you have significant elevation in the diastolic blood pressure, then you have the chance of attributing that headache to the blood pressure and reducing the blood pressure with additional medicines. So that needs to be done. So in any case, if you have a headache patient who comes to you elderly headache patient who comes to you and the blood pressure is not controlled and he has headache, it's imperative that you bring down the blood pressure and right. you may not be able to establish the link, but by and large, mild raise in blood pressure does not contribute to headache. Right. Do you also get patients, you know, uh, I know people who consume alcohol, uh, maybe not habitually, but who have a hangover, eventually end up waking up next morning with a headache. Uh, you know, your experiences on that, maybe? Yes. So, uh, this is well uh, known. A lot of people, not necessarily only those who have latent migraine or who are prone to migraine headaches, even normal people, because of the congeners, which are uh, added in the alcoholic drink, they okay. come up with a hangover headache or a headache next day. So, they can be treated with simple analgesics, and of course, uh, there's always, you have to explain to the patient that if they remove the cause, then the effect will also go away. And sure. as long as a patient who is uh, consuming alcoholic drinks takes the onus on himself and attributes the headache to his own mistake, 
There is right. no problem in treating that headache also. You can stop one peg short of the level at which your headache starts. Correct. And Correct. you can choose the type of drink which doesn't give you a headache. Correct. There are different brands which don't give a headache for some patients. Right. And you can also, I should not be saying this, but uh, those who really want to have uh, go at their drinks can take an analgesic either mixed with the drink or before the drink, and then okay. they won't get the headache. Oh, okay, okay. That's a little insight, this secret for somebody who wants to have a weekend <laughs> drink. So, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you. You know, I have a common argument or a maybe difference of opinion with my wife because when I get a headache, um, I prefer to take a tablet and you know get rid of the symptoms. But she says I'd rather sleep it off. What would you recommend? Which is which one is you know the right way to look at it? You know, should we take a tablet and you know feel better? Or she says you know you'll get habituated to taking tablets. I'd rather sleep it off. I'll sleep it off. I'll be fine in the morning. It would depend on the level of functionality which you need when you're having a headache. Right. If you are in the middle of doing something important and you need to be functional and alert to the maximum, and I would go with you and say that taking a tablet is definitely right. easier and a better option. And if, say, you are on a holiday and you have a headache, and which is mild, and you can bear it, then sleep also will help reduce the headache. So that is a relative which you have to decide. Now, the sure. other thinking which uh, your uh, spouse may say that if you take too many tablets, it is not the good thing. You Correct. can always set a limit on the number of uh, analgesic tablets you take. So okay. you set the limit at five per month. And if it crosses that, and okay. paracetamol is the safest analgesic, in my opinion. Okay. So okay. if you take five paracetamols in a month in order to uh, restore your functionality, I right. do not think it is going to do too much harm. So okay. beyond that, you have to consult a doctor. Up sure. to that, you could get away. And okay. sleep is a relieving factor more commonly seen in children than in adults. So most children, you find that when they are put to sleep, their headaches come down. So that would be an option for children than adults. Now, you took me to the last question, actually, on your own, that how often do you see children as a patient for your OPD? Are children also experiencing headaches and, you know, maybe some insights about headaches in children. Yes, it is important for everybody listening in to understand that children also do get migraine headaches. And when children get headaches, if there is a history of headache in the mother, then definitely please understand that your child may have migraine headaches, which are treatable. With children, it is always more uh, and uh, by uh, the first reason suspected is a refraction error by most parents. And right. the second reason thought about is that the child is undergoing stress. The present educational system does throw in a lot of competitive stress for every child. And right. now with the lockdown, it's also more aggravated. But you have to think of the background possibility of migraine in those who have a family history. And it is not uh, that migraine is a disorder which starts around uh, 12, 15 years of age. We have seen children who are five to eight years of age also who have improved when they were treated for migraine. 
Okay. Children with migraine may present quite differently from adults with migraine. They okay. present with a lot of abdominal pain, which goes okay. away when you treat okay. them with anti-migraine drugs. Okay. okay. So any child, say after the age of five, when they have an ice cream and they hold their head and say that every time I have an ice cream, I get a bad headache, is suspect for migraine. And particularly if there is a positive family history. So the way to sort that out is always do a scan and rule out anything else underlying. Because when you're treating children, you're treating right. not only the child, but also the anxious parents. True. true. So get other disorders out of the way because you do not want to have uh, your fingers burnt with a diagnosis which turns out later that you were mistaken thinking it is migraine. And sure. then rule out simple things like a refractive error. Make sure there is no psychological stress due to the school stress, the education system, because right. children do not always reveal everything to the parents. So Correct. there could be a lot of psychological issues, right. which also can give rise to recurrent headaches. And then you will find that children are not difficult to treat. But yes, definitely, children do get headaches. And we have seen a lot of children in our clinic, and we have sorted their problems out with the help of anti-migraine medicines, with the help of a psychologist. And you mentioned about uh, abdominal pain. So there is something known as abdominal migraine also in children where yes. they only present with abdominal pain. That's right. This is uh, known as abdominal migraine where they present with abdominal pain and the headache is not so dominant a uh, feature of sure. abdominal migraine. And when you ask the question, do you also get headache Along with your abdominal pain, many children say sometimes, they don't say that always, okay. but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So when you treat them with anti-migraine drug, not only the abdominal pain goes away, but the headache, lingering headache also goes away. And when you do the investigations, you have to, before you suspect abdominal migraine, you have to make sure that you have done an ultrasound of the abdomen, you have done a CT scan of the abdomen if need be in order to rule out any other abdominal cause for that pain. And right. if there is a positive family history in the mother, then only you start thinking of abdominal migraine. No, wonderful, wonderful. Dr. Ravishankar, this has I mean, been a phenomenal, phenomenal session. Uh, before I end, you know, so the objective of this podcast is basically to create awareness about what is the healthcare burden in our country. And through experts like yourself, we are trying to create that awareness and how do we unburden this healthcare burden that is there in our country. So a personal question to you, do you have a plan to unburden your own personal health in this year? And what is that plan if you could share that with us at a personal level? Yes, uh, this lockdown phase has been a revelation to me in many ways. One is, apart from the fact that COVID is a humbling experience for most of us, it has taught us in so many ways how powerless we are. Right. And it has also taught us uh, that there are many things which we could be doing, which we were not doing in the past. Number one is spending more time with the family. Right. Number two is, it has given me an op opportunity to exercise more regularly. Right. Number three, it has uh, given me enough time to spend upgrading my academic knowledge. 
things which were difficult when you have to see 10 patients, 15 patients a day. So all right. that time. And number four, it has taught me that online consultations are definitely something which you can do and which patients also prefer in the safety of their home rather okay. than visit a hospital. They would like to talk to you and when they get as much time as they want, talk to you. So un- online consultations are possible in the field of medicine. Sure. And lastly, it has given me an opportunity to improve my golfing, which is something oh. which I'm passionate about, which I love. So therefore, my golfing has also improved because of the lockdown. I get more time to go and play golf. Oh, excellent. I think that's a common thread again between you and me. While I'm not at probably your level of golfing, I've just started practicing. I just wanted to ask, what is your handicap for golf? My handicap is uh, around 20. Okay, okay. That's excellent, excellent. So I'm not so I, a great golfer, but as a so club-level amateur golfer, I enjoy my game. No, I'm still not. I'm I'm still at the practice range only. So I guess my coach has still not even given me permission to go to the course. So I hope I can catch you on the golf course sometime soon. Definitely. But thank you should. again. Yeah, thank you so much for sparing your time today. This has been a phenomenal, phenomenal, insightful session. I, I wish you good health, stay safe, stay healthy, you know, spend more time with your family and enjoy your golfing. Thank you again. Thank you, so Sanjay. I enjoyed talking to you and uh, I'm glad that I accepted your invitation and I'm very happy to be sharing my thoughts with you. You've been asking very appropriate questions. So I hope it is a useful program for also the listeners. Thank All you. the best to everybody. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you.